Welcome back to the Oklahoma Today podcast, bringing you all the best our state has to offer. We're still roaring about our recent animal issues, so this week we have captured the rehabilitation experts. Nathan, you okay? Yep. Yep, good. Megan made me laugh. It's just another day here on the podcast. <laughs> uh, we have captured the rehabilitation experts at Wild Care, Oklahoma, to talk about how they're keeping animals in their rightful habitats. But first, our question of the week, we asked you, if you could tame a wild animal for a pet, which one would you choose? First up is Editor-in-Chief Nathan Gunner. Well, I recently uh, had the chance to attend, for not the first time, the Salmon Bat Watch. Uh, up in northwestern Oklahoma. It was lovely. And so I'm going to choose the Mexican free-tail bat because I would train them to be my unholy army of the night. Also, they're sky puppies. Yes, and they they are. They're cute. And they eat tons and tons of bugs. Not so I would mosquitoes, just, though. Apparently. I know. Not mosquitoes. But, you know, nobody's perfect. Yeah. Still, unholy army of the night. I, do you know right. what? Put a purple Martin box up there. there you and go. you got your mosquitoes handled. And yeah. then you can just have your pet bat. There you go. So I would love to see bats. just plural. Bats rise from like Nathan's chimney every night. <laughs> <laughs> no, they would live in the backyard happily. Oh, They'd have okay. lots of room to hang around. I'd probably build them a little cave mm-hmm. so they could hang out, or maybe just let them live in my shed. I don't know. But unholy army of the night is the real takeaway here. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Managing editor Carly Ibarra. I have two answers to this question. The first one is an animal that does not live in Oklahoma, and that's the painted dog. How Ooh, cool would it be choice. to have a tame painted dog? That would be. But then also a, a crow, which is an Oklahoma <sighs> animal. That'd be stu- and I could it could do my bidding. It could go collect shiny things for me. I mean, just I the potential. I propose an alliance between your crow and my unholy army. Uh huh. I propose an alliance. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the Oklahoma Today Super. Villain uh, origin it's podcast. Like, it's like the model UN if they were all evil. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, Photo Megan Rossman. Well, my answer also was a crow, but any bird of prey. Um, I mean, I would really prefer a harpy eagle. I was ho- hoping but a harpy eagle. They're untamable. Research center Ben Lucian, what's your answer? I'm going to go with ostrich. I think Ooh. it would be fun to just sort of parade around on the ostrich. <laughs> It would make getting around the OU campus a lot easier, Mm. Uh, and it would be a great conversation starter. (laughs) It would be. Mm -hmm. I am now picturing you riding around on an an ostrich, like with a saddle. Uh, Yes. This is... I like this image. This is good. Yes. Yeah, I like this for you. We should see if Jen can draw that for us. I think we should. (laughs) Next time, Ben's in contrives. That's what we're doing. That's it. Yeah. What about you, Greg? Uh... I, I love all of your ideas about your uh, unholy armies of the night. Mm-hmm. I would like to have an unholy army of the day, uh, and that is going to be hummingbirds. Aww, uh, good one. I want, first of all, because here's the thing. I love bats. I love crows. They can't hover. Those, those are animals that are going to have to fly hover. back and forth uh-huh. and around. Hummingbirds, right here. Yeah. I mean, my posse does not move. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? I like that. Right here. Uh, they could also fit into very small places. They're so, so tiny. Very true. And all I have to do is keep, like, uh, lapels just covered in sugar water. <laughs> just, like, shot glasses of sugar water nice. on my, yeah. Like I like I'm, this. Like, like it, I, I'd wear kind of what I'm imagining is a this, Sergeant Pepper this uniform. This sounds like a DC supervillain. <laughs> or like a Does. Disney like, princess. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? A lot of the DC supervillains end up as Disney princesses. <laughs> yeah. How do you think Ariel got her start? That's, I know, yeah. Yeah. She, she was, she originally worked for the, uh, for Aquaman. Uh, <laughs> what, this is what happens when you record 
in the morning. Yep. <laughs> what did our What did our friends on social media say? Uh, so much. Uh, Renee Mayberry said that she would love a bobcat or a mountain lion, but she would prefer that they stay wild. Oh, which I think is, you know, nice. I, nice. honestly, yeah. Yeah. that's the other thing. I would say if those hummingbirds, like if they came to me and had somehow learned human speech, and they were like, "Look, we want to serve you," I'd be like, "Okay," but I'm not going to take you guys out of like you know your fun loving life. Um, let's see. Tony Taylor said she would like a red fox, not to be confused mm. with the comedian. Uh, <laughs> Especially because they uh, apparently are helping themselves to her outside cat food every day as is. Sounds, <laughs> sounds like she's already got some. Uh, Leslie uh, Ebert wants a, a lion or a leopard. Uh, Aiden, a real Dr. Doolittle, if, if there ever was one, wants a fox, a possum, and a coyote pup, and all the rest. Uh, uh, both Gina and uh, Carla Juarez said skunks, specifically the mm. adorable spotted skunk. Which skunks got, can be domesticated. They can. It's yeah. actually legal in Oklahoma to yep. have skunks. It's one of the few states, and you can get them descented. I, that's the yeah, thing. Is you so. have to have them descented, mm-hmm, yeah. which, yeah. which takes away their, um, you know, the whole reason to have them, which is, you know, attack spray. Can I just say from experience though, their little teeth are sharp. Even with, especially when they're little. I got bit by a baby skunk once. Yeah. Um, and it really hurt. Yeah. So do not recommend. Their behavior is supposed to be somewhere between a dog and a cat. So they can this be kind like of mischievous. Cat. Yeah, this yeah. was more cat-like. A bunch of puppy cats. They're weasels, aren't they? I think they are uh, members of the weasel family. They look like, they look weasely. Yeah. <laughs> A little shifty, beady eyes. You can't trust them. <laughs> uh, uh, and our old buddy and intern extraordinaire, Cooper Marshall, uh, said that uh, he would love a Galapagos turtle. Oh, um, good answer, Coop. I, I get 100% see Coop just, like, chilling out, riding on the back of a Galapagos turtle. Dude, he would just, turtle. like, ride across the OU campus, like, chilling on the back, like, reading a book. Yes. Yeah, I like that. you got to like make this. plans for somebody else to take care of that, though, after you pass, because Galapagos tortoises live, like, That's true. hundreds of years. That's yeah. true. You but have I mean, to will it to your children. I Having met Cooper, I also feel like he could probably live hundreds of years. Yeah, Just the be power of positivity alone. Agreed. It's going to keep that kid alive. Uh, all right, let's talk to the folks at Wild Care Oklahoma. And we are very excited to welcome in our friends from Wild Care Oklahoma, Executive Director Inger uh, Jufrida and uh, Dr. Kyle Abbott. Uh, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Uh, so uh, we featured wild care in our uh, most recent issue, our animal issue, and uh, we were also taken with the story. We really wanted to, to have you guys on and talk a little bit more. Uh, so for our uh, for our listeners who maybe haven't gotten a hold of the issue yet, uh, would you tell them a little bit more about what wild care does? Sure, I'll start, and I know Dr. Abbott will have a lot to add. So we are a wildlife rehabilitation and conservation education center located in Nova, Oklahoma, but we serve the whole state of Oklahoma. And so the heart of kind of what we do is take in injured, ill, and orphaned wildlife, um, primarily from central Oklahoma, but we do, again, serve the entire state. And they're brought to wild care for both medical and rehabilitative care so that they can be released back to the wild. Um, But in addition to that, we do conservation education, we do wild um, human wildlife animal conflict resolution, um, as well as, you know, advocate for wildlife and wild spaces. And so that's kind of us in a nutshell. Um, Dr. Abbott, what would you add to that? Yeah, that definitely encapsulates a lot of it. There's some other things we uh, certainly are working on expanding. Um, education is obviously a big part of it, but we also work to educate sort of the next uh, generation of wildlife biologists, wildlife veterinarians, wildlife veterinary technicians. We really try and uh, give people exposure experience to these animals that they otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to interact with in a hands-on way. 
Um, we also uh, end up we're trying to be more involved with a lot of the, the research into these animals, uh, having the opportunity to work directly with a lot of these species. A lot of them are just not that common for uh, to, uh, to be in human care, so to speak. And so it's an opportunity for us to, to learn about these animals and then, of course, teach the public, but also teach our colleagues in the conservation field. Um, I know that uh, you talked about exposing the next generation of um, animal scientists and such, but you guys aren't open to the public, um, you know, during the regular day to day operation. So is that exposure through like internships or partnerships with other organizations throughout the state? Uh, that's a great question. Uh we do a uh, do have a very strong fellowship program, which is a lot of uh, undergraduate students or recent graduates who are studying biology or studying wildlife conservation. And so they come and they spend uh, usually three months with us to get a lot of that hands on experience. A lot of these people um, are basically learning the field and they're learning uh, where they are going to go with it. And this gives them hands on uh, handling experience with the animals, but also they learn about the ecology and uh, the, the care for them when they're in uh, human management. So some people uh, go on to zoo jobs and other opportunities. Um, we, we do get veterinary students and veterinary technician uh, students to come. And so within the veterinary field in general, there's not a lot of people uh, or a lot of opportunities for people to work directly with wildlife. So we are the opportunity here in, in the state of Oklahoma for uh, students to get that exposure without leaving the state. I, I did wonder about that. Uh, it, it really does seem, I mean, most of your day-to-day uh, -day vets are probably going to see mostly cats and dogs, maybe some birds, things like that. It, taking that experience and then translating it to dealing with skunks and with wildcats and with uh and with birds that are that are generally not happy to be around people um has got to be pretty difficult and, and i i would assume uh kind of a, a tough hurdle for a lot of uh first-time uh vet tech students it certainly is um yeah, i mean it's a field that we're, all, we're always learning we're always growing um, we rely on each other and each other's experience and knowledge um, it's not a, it's not a huge field um, when it comes to veterinary medicine as a general uh, rule um, and then wildlife medicine gets even smaller um, and so uh, giving giving students that experience, a lot of times it'll be the first time they've worked with birds or they've worked with skunks or, or, or wildcats like you're like you're using as examples. Those are um, those are ones where you can you can learn about it in uh, kind of the domestic species, you know, chickens or people's pet cats. Um, and we, we certainly take all that knowledge that we can and we try and translate it as best we can. But we're certainly learning as we go. Um, there's a lot of. Uh, you know, in, in, in the medicine field, you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences and you just try and figure out where those are and you apply them to your patients as best you can. And then you just pass on that knowledge to the, to the next generation. One thing about treating wildlife is there's not, um, once you're become a veterinarian, uh, one of the big things is, is we try to, um, have people feel empowered to get involved with wildlife now there's not there's no money really in, in the field right these 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 animals they don't have owners um they do have people who are passionate about them and are willing to donate to for their medical care um but they don't have owners and so um 
uh, teaching people and giving people the opportunity to to get involved with helping wildlife is one of the big aspects. And they don't have to necessarily be veterinarians. So we, we encourage people strongly to find ways to get involved in another means. Um, obviously, we can easily teach uh, veterinarians and veterinary technician students um, about this, but we also try and teach people who uh, don't necessarily have any experience with animals. And so we, we do a very strong volunteer program as well to give people that kind of first exposure to working with wild animals. For example, last year we had um, over 120 volunteers um, that came to Wild Care. And one thing that I want to just add to what Dr. Abbott said to appreciate the sort of the breadth of kind of work application of veterinary medicine and animal behavioral science, all of it is um, since 2015, which is when we have like really good records for wild care, we've treated over 500 different species of wildlife at wild care. And um, just last year alone, uh, 2021, it was over 260 species. And so one of the things that I think is attractive to young people who are contemplating sort of working in working in the animal field writ large is the exposure to all of the different species. If you're at a cat and dog hospital, you'll see lots of really cute cats and dogs. And as you said, the occasional bird and guinea pig, but not that diversity of species, each which requires um, some sort of creative application of the knowledge base. And so it's a very enriching experience, I think, for um, really motivated young people, as well as people who are older and come to us like after they've retired and um, want to do something sort of enriching and new. Yeah. What are some of the, um, the some of the different uh, activities that volunteers that aren't necessarily involved with veterinary medicine? What what types of things could they get to do with you guys? Sure, so a long, 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 long list of things there. Um, so we start everybody with. Um, so we have an online application, and we have a, a designated volunteer coordinator. Um, and they come to an orientation where they're kind of just like given the foundation of like what is wild care, and we take them on a tour. Um, but then from there, we do um, help people kind of specialize if they want to. Um, so it's everything from assisting, uh, particularly on the rehabilitation side um, of our practice, where in the beginning, a lot of times they're like cleaning cages, doing diet preparation, and even feeding some baby animals during baby season, cleaning rooms, cleaning enclosures out back. But that's just one piece of it. That's kind of like what people assume everybody does there. But that's one piece of it. Another huge piece, and it's actually kind of central to our operations, is we have a drop-off point at the Oklahoma City Animal Shelter. So every single day, people from all over that don't want to make the trip all the way to Noble will drop off animals at the Oklahoma City Animal Shelter, but they have to get to wild care. And so we have this dedicated cadre of volunteers that every single day drive and get those animals and bring them out to wild care. So, so there's the transportation from the animal shelter as well as sometimes getting animals to us from far locations. So like last summer, we had a couple of orphaned barn owls in Gaiman, and we had a volunteer that drove to Gaiman to get those barn owls and bring them to us and then drove them back to release them there because raptors ideally need to be released kind of where they originated from. We have volunteers that help with um, answering the phone. That's something, an area that we're hoping to expand because I'd like to extend our sort of hotline or phone operating hours. Um, and so we're trying to train up people to do that human animal conflict resolution over the phone. Um, and then of course we have volunteers that serve on our board of directors, volunteers that help us staff education and training events like this year so far, 
We've reached um, over, it's approaching 7,000 people with our in-person event and education. And so a lot of times we just need help staffing those events because we have games and activities that we do to help people learn about wild care and um, caring for wildlife and, um, and the places that they live, wildlife habitats. So there's a broad range of things. And then we're always open for other ideas that people may have. Like if someone came to me and said, you know, I'm really great at writing grants, can I volunteer? I would of course say, yes. Please. <laughs> uh, and and um, I assume if anybody has a lot of uh, experience making tiny felt hats uh, for birds, <laughs> is that... I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just I'm throwing stuff no, out there. No, because... you know, it's it's funny that you say that. So there is actually a group of crafters. They make hammocks for um, for our in like particularly our squirrels and um, possums to kind of like hang out. They, we we tie them in the corner. We clip them to the corner of like cages and they they rest in there. So we do have like projects like that that people do. In fact, we just had a group of Girl Scouts from Piedmont do some some raptor perching for us. They made raptor perching um, and brought it out um, to wild care. So and, and like I said, we're always willing to consult with people who have a skill set or an interest and see how it can like, you know, benefit them and us. So that's that's so awesome. It really is. It's great because it seems like you guys have um, have figured out you know, the, the, it does take a village, you know, it takes everybody working together and um, looking on your website, uh, wildcareoklahoma.org for anybody who needs to take a look at it, go look at the galleries and look at the number and the variety of animals that you guys are dealing with. Um, And, and and I'm sorry, if you can't, I, I can't not watch those release videos you know, it's just it's so awesome seeing the work that you guys have put in in saving these animals and then and then returning them to that habitat because it really is about preserving the wild and, and, and preserving these animals in the wild. That's right. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed those release videos. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's one of the things that we are very excited when we can post those. Sometimes they're hard to get, like if you're sure. the only one doing the release, like you're trying to open a cage and get the video. But uh, Dr. Abbott's, I think, mastered it, quite frankly. <laughs> you're talking about the release videos. I'm sorry. We were talking about a, a new case that just came in. It's always busy here a while oh, here. We, <laughs> that's great. We, yeah, 365 days a year. We're always we're always getting new animals. Uh, talk about release videos. I, I love getting videos for release. It's, the, I mean, that, that's what it's all about for us. I mean, it, it really at the end of the day, getting these animals back to the wild. That's our goal. So, uh, getting the videos, it, it always feels good. It's the it's you know it, it's what we it's what we work for. So, yeah. and I'll just say like Dr. Abbott um, and the rest of the team are really good about like thinking about like what is the sort of the best place to release animals. We have a network of landowners, as you know, most of the land in Oklahoma is privately owned, and so we have to have relationships with these private landowners um, for appropriate habitats to release our animals. And that's another thing our volunteer coordinator does is manage that. Um, but like sometimes we have special cases, so we still have some Mississippi kites on hand, but they um, have left Oklahoma. So um, so we've arranged for some volunteers to drive the Mississippi kites that we have that are ready for release down to Houston wow. to catch up with the, the migrating uh, Mississippi kites. And so 
it's not just a matter of like opening up the cage and like letting run off of wild care's property. A lot of thought goes into like, where should the animals go? Like where is an appropriate habitat that can um, help them not only survive, but thrive. And then is this the right time of day? Is this the right time of year? All of those questions kind of go into figuring out where to release the animals. Uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about the volunteers, and one thing I wanted to point out, uh, uh, pretty prominent on the Wild Care website, is um, this is a very cost-intensive uh, endeavor, uh, which is all the more reason why volunteers are so necessary. But beyond that, if if there are people who have the will but not the time. Uh, you guys are always accepting donations because um, uh, that can really go a long way towards uh, towards helping some of these animals, uh, even if even if you yourself can't get down there to, to put hands on them. In fact, that I would say that that um, in some ways is our number one need. So wild care um, is uh, works at about a one third the budget that other comparable centers do. Um, we So some of that is positive, meaning that we're very frugal with how we spend money, but some of that isn't, and it is a limiting factor, particularly when it comes some of the repairs that we have to do to enclosures and some of the new enclosures that we have to build because we've outgrown a lot of our, a lot of our site. We're one of the 10 largest wildlife rehabilitation centers in the country. We get no federal money, no state money, no county, no local money, even though we do provide a service to obviously the state and all the counties that we serve. Um, and so we rely completely on individual, corporate, and to a limited extent foundation dollars um, to make it work. So um, all donations, whether they be financial or in kind, are, in, are used extremely responsibly and and we're like i said frugal with every single dollar we get sure well and one thing i would like to point out uh for folks who are interested in getting a really unique uh and and useful and helpful uh holiday gift uh you guys do a really cool uh adoption program of sorts where where you can get information on some of the animals that are being rehabilitated there and a, and a cute little uh cuddly uh, stuffed animal to keep at home as a, as a reminder, you know, it's, uh, but I, I, I thought that was so cool. And I look at that, I was just like, man, okay, which one of these am I getting from my mom this year? Because <laughs> Lord knows, I don't know anything else that woman wants. <laughs> you know, most people think of them for like the younger ones in our lives, but I think it's really great for older people who have, who already have everything like, and you're like, what should I get them? Let me get them a symbolic adoption for wild care. That's a great, oh, great idea. Well, and especially a hummingbird. My parents are nuts for hummingbirds. That's, That's just... <laughs> So, so in addition, like that spread in Oklahoma today was amazing. Um, so in addition to the stuffed animal, there's a certificate to the person and a fact sheet, as well as a photo of one, you know, of the patient. Um, and we do call our animals here patients, just as an FYI. But we also have other things on our gift shop. We have like, socks and T-shirts yeah. and mugs and um, all kinds of interesting things. And again, all of that is to help. Number one, you can show your support for wild care and Oklahoma's wildlife, but then also either get something neat for yourself or a unique gift for, you know, someone that you want to buy a gift for. And, and, you know, really the most important thing is helping put money back into wild care and helping keep these animals in the wild where they belong healthy. And, and like you said, not just surviving, but thriving. Uh, and I think that's what we really all want, you know, is, um, uh, 
we're seeing a lot more encroachment uh, people into animal habitats and thus animal into people habitats. Um, and, and that just makes what wild care does all the more uh, vital for Oklahoma. That's what we think as well. I mean, the number one, you know, I mean, we aren't trying to get more animals to come to wild care. And in fact, a lot of our time is spent on the phone. And, and in fact, I think it's one of the most important things we do is helping people determine whether or not an animal needs to come in. Like I was at um, the Sierra Club last week talking and someone had questions about a fox in their backyard and what should they do? And I said, um, you know, enjoy the fox in your backyard <laughs> um, because they have nowhere else to go. And so it's about learning to be a good neighbor to wildlife and coexist with wildlife as opposed to, you know, like, oh my gosh, why is that raccoon like, you know, passing through my yard? I mean, be because like this used to be where they lived and now we live here and so we need to live together. And there are ways to do that. Um, and we spend a lot of time talking with people about strategies of getting like, you know, a skunk family out from underneath their shed or helping to dissuade a raccoon family that's, you know, um, made their way into an attic. Um, we can help people do that in a way that is humane and um, doesn't obviously hurt the animal and, um, and also achieves the person's goals. So. Well, uh, folks, I, I really do highly recommend that you visit wildcareoklahoma.org uh, and learn more about this really great uh, organization and ways that you can uh, help out. And uh, Inger and Kyle, thank you guys so much for coming on and talking with us today. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I hope uh, we can send a few more people uh, your way uh, to to get, you know, stuffed animals not necessarily to to bring to bring you guys like mountain lions or whatever let's let's leave those in the mountains guys <laughs> thanks so much Thank for having so much. us absolutely <laughs> all right it is now time for us to once again plumb the depths of travelok.com's calendars for our weekly pod vents and first up this week is carly oh me the recently departed queen was famous for her love of corgis, which began when she was gifted a pup named Hickathrift Pippa, a.k.a. Susan, on her 18th birthday. While there won't be any royal canines in attendance at Hominy Stock at Hominy Lake on October 8th, there will be a rowdy, the official term for a lot, of corgis. There will be corgis chomping hot dogs, corgis in costume, and corgis running as fast as their stubby little legs will carry them during the corgi races. What does Hominy, Oklahoma, have to do with small Welsh herding dogs? No. Nothing, but nobody really cares because, you know, corgis. <laughs> Admission is free and visitors are welcome to bring their own leashed pups, corgi and otherwise. Check out facebook.com slash hominy stock for more info. That sounds like fun. I, I hate to tell you, I actually know why they have uh, the corgi day in hominy. Why? why? It's because a bunch of people who work for the hominy city government have corgis. Like, that was how it started. I, I interviewed oh, them about this last year. That's funny. Interesting. <laughs> okay. So it's very just, random it's still. Super random. They I like it, though. And they're like, let's do this. The pictures look like so much fun. Oh, I'm I definitely going to go to this this it year. Does, it looks yeah. awesome. And it's free, so yes. why not? Also... How much do we love that there was a dog named Susan? That the Susan. queen had a dog named Susan. Uh, That's I liked hilarious. her original name. That what was that? Hickathrift Pippa. Hickathrift Pippa. Nice. Yeah. Such that sounds more British. British name. Yeah. I know. Isn't that like the future king's sister-in-law? Pippa. Hickathrift Pippa. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, I think Pippa it's is. Pippa, but not Hickathrift. Oh, yeah. All right, uh, Ben. What's your event this week? Sure. Like any Oklahoma, any good Oklahoman, I wish I could fit the entire state meal of fried okra, cornbread, barbecue pork, squash, 
biscuits and sausage gravy, grits, corn, strawberries, chicken fried steak, pecan pie, and black eyed peas all into my mouth at once. But until I finally get the surgeon to lower my jaw, that just won't be possible. I do know one fellow who can get the job done, though, the majestic pelican. In this sense, the pelican is the most Oklahoma of birds. A pelican can hold up to three gallons of water in its pouch bill. In oaky terms, this is equivalent to roughly three dozen steak sandwich supremes. <laughs> the people of Gore and the maritime law observers of Grand Lake surely agree with the water bird supremacy, seeing as how they have been organizing the Pelican Festival for 39 years now. The Free Family Festival, set to take place Thursday through Sunday in and around Wolf Creek Park, features a parade, a car, sh- a car show, arts and crafts, and plenty of food vendors who sadly won't be carrying the Pelican's favorite tree of raw herring. <laughs> Enjoy the games and activities of the Pelican Carnival and soak in the sounds of live music, as well as some of the year's final rays of sunshine. Wait, that sounds very apocalyptic. <laughs> Uh, that may need to be fact-checked later. <laughs> Best of all, sneak a peek at some of the birds of honor who love to stop by Grand Lake on their uh, yearly well, winter migrations. If you if you say you can't be there, I say you pelican. For more information, call 918-786-2289 or visit pelicanfestok.com. I am so disappointed that they could not arrange for the German seafood truck Damen und Herring to appear. That's good. That is a Bob's Burgers level name of a place. Good job. Thank you very much. Nice. (laughs) Megan, what's your event this week? Well, the supposed building blocks of civilization vary depending on who you talk to. Agriculture, law, religion, architecture are frequently cited, but to me, the hallmark of civilization is cheese. And the people of Watonga seem to agree. The Watonga Cheese Festival celebrates its 45th year on October 7th and 8th in this year of our Lord, 2022, and there will be plenty to rejoice about in this northwestern Oklahoma town. Local wines will flow freely to accompany your wholesome curds, plus there will be an armory and crafts tent where visitors can purchase gifts, home decor, and food. A parade will honor everyone's dearest dairy product, and the more agile can grab a brick of cheddar for the road and participate in a 5K, 10K, or one-mile fun run. So for more information, visit watongachamber.org. You should probably run before you eat the cheese. I, I agree. Yeah. I can yeah. imagine no run less fun I will than say, one after I've eaten a brick of cheddar. Oh, no, you eat as you yeah. go. No, it's like a cheese race. Oh, yeah, you right. have to eat five. No, I'm not saying no. that they actually no. do that. I'm saying <laughs> that is my suggestion. Yeah. I will say I've been to that one several times, and it is one of my favorite like it's small town festivals. Brick of cheese that and happen every year. It's bottle so of fun. wine, and you take to the streets. <laughs> take to the streets. <laughs> That's a great idea. I love the Watonga Cheese Festival. Seriously, it's a lot of fun. It's oh, really yeah. good. I got, you got, listeners can't see it, but I got that painting that's hanging on my wall over there. I got that at the Watonga Cheese Festival. Anyway. You can so, get art. It's lots and of fun. It's a good one. It really cheese. is a good one. It's I quite like Gouda. It. Uh, 
Uh, Nathan, what's your Oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, yeah, this, I like this one. Uh, so is Norman haunted? I don't know, maybe. Certainly many people in Norman are currently waking up from nightmares of Chris Kleeman laughing at them like a mani- maniacal Kansas State elf. But I won't talk about that. So is Norman haunted? I don't know. But if there's a guy who does, it's Jeff Provine, historian and paranormal expert extraordinaire, occasional Oklahoma Today contributor, who will lead a fabulous walking tour through downtown Norman this Friday, October 7th. This will be a great time to go a ghost hunting because half the town will have left to go to Dallas for the weekend. <laughs> for 75 to 90 minutes, Jeff will share classic tales and spooky scares from Norman's history, all sourced from his extensive research on the history of the town. The tour takes place along public sidewalks, and participants will receive a commemorative glow-in-the-dark wristband. Pre-registration is required. Call 405-343-1305 or go to eventbrite.com. Make sure your location is set to Norman, Oklahoma, and search Provine. That's P-R-O-V-I-N-E, and you will find it. It'll be at the top of the list. Sounds like it's going to be a really fun time. If you can't go, you should definitely check out one of Jeff's books because he's definitely. written a lot about yeah. haunted Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and they are just fascinating They are. Stories. They're really good. And, and not to send people to other podcasts, but uh, he Tales also... Tales Unveiled. Tales Unveiled. Yeah. Uh, Jeff and uh, and our buddy Dennis Spielman yep. uh, do a really great... Uh, I was on that podcast. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's a good one. I really like that podcast. <laughs> yeah, not like I mean, you know, if for some reason we're not enough for you... <laughs> Can't imagine. Greg, what do you have for us? What's your what's your thing people should go do this week? Grappling hooks. Exploding oh. dolphins. The golden driller proposing to the Statue of Liberty. None of these things are actually happening, but they got your attention. And that's what's important when it comes to events. So, while there's a bit of cow chippery happening at Cow Chip Day in the eastern Oklahoma paradise of Warner, it's really more of a, wait, what? To get folks to pay attention to this charming town. On October 8th, the day kicks off with a parade in downtown Warner, followed by lots of food, games, Games and vendors for guests and a few carnival rides sprinkled in. But yes, the most popular event does feature a cow. Cow chip bingo involves <laughs> things happening. And if you buy a card, maybe some of those things will happen in squares that will make you a big winner before the live music and dancing kicks in. <laughs> Visit Facebook.com slash Day for more information, including why Cow Chip Day exists. And the sound of pelicans picking up corgis means that this episode of the Oklahoma Day podcast is coming to a close. So join us again next week, or if you just can't get enough, head over to OklahomaToday.com and pick up our latest issue on newsstands right now. Send your feedback to OKTPod at TravelOK.com, and we'll talk again next week. The Oklahoma Today podcast is a production of Oklahoma Today magazine and the Oklahoma Tourism Recreation Department. Your hosts are Oklahoma Today editors Nathan Gunner, Greg Elwell, Carly Ibarra, Megan Rossman, and Ben Lucian. Theme song editing and production help by Oklahoma Today's production manager, Bridget Sloan. For more information, visit OklahomaToday.com. Goodbye. Happy birthday, Cindy. Happy birthday, Cindy. Happy birthday, Cindy. And me. And you, Megan. October 11th. Mm Mm-hmm.